girls, but it must be intimidating to come up here every Sunday after that. You know, you're tempted to say, thank you, and have a nice day. So I got a bit of a confession to make today. Um, there's a couple people in our church family that are really, really upset with me. And as I was thinking about it, there's actually probably more than a couple. Um, matter of fact, there's some people from our congregation who have gone on to the other congregations uh, that have kind of taken me off their Christmas card list too. And then there's back in my political days when I was working in the legislature and stuff, uh, there's kind of people that don't talk to me from those days either. And then I think about it, I got some old friends that kind of avoid me like the plague. And if I didn't know better, I would think it was me. That can't possibly be. Many of you know that I was out of the church for 25 years. And uh, before I heeded God's call to come back around 2005, we kind of came to Calvary, you lucky people. I can honestly tell you, I really didn't care if someone was mad at me or not. You know, I kind of lived a life where, you know, if you got mad at me, that was your problem. Get over it. Suck it up. It was their problem, not mine. No big deal, right? But since coming to Calvary in 2005, I've learned something about church, and I've learned something about myself. I'm an EGR person. I am one of those people that when you deal with me, extra grace is required on your part. But I've also learned something about you. You're our people too. When people are dealing with you, they need to show extra grace because at times you all can be quite annoying. <laughs> the fact is we're all EGRs. We all need those around us at some time or another to show us a little extra grace, especially during those times when we're disagreeable, not doing the things the way others want them to be done, saying things that aren't what others really want to hear. When we're struggling with our emotions, we can get that way. Or, you know, sometimes we just have a simple mix of bad personalities that just don't gel, right? So today I want to talk to you about the reality of what God says about EGRs. How we're supposed to treat the EGRs in our life. Our responsibilities when we're the EGR. And the tools God gives us to do this in a way that glorifies him. So here's the bad news. God is very clear that we are to show people extra grace. He tells us in Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. This isn't a suggestion, it's not guidance, it's not an option. It's a command. You shall bear with one another. You shall forgive one another. And please notice what it doesn't say. Bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone only after they apologize and change their behavior. Nope. We have to do this regardless of how the other person acts. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul put it this way. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love's Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Eager, 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 eager to bear with each other. Paul emphasizes this again in Romans 15, 1, where he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak 
and not to please ourselves. What he's saying is those who are mature in the faith have an obligation to walk with those who are less mature in the faith and don't get upset with them. It's not about you. It's about God. In fact, bearing with someone when that person is difficult to put up with is found everywhere in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. It's found in words, it's found in stories, it's found in parables. So let me remind you a few examples, okay? So remember Moses? How were the Israelites, that whiny, complaining group of people? They were a whole people of EGRs. But that wasn't Moses' only problem. He had his brother Aaron and Miriam. Remember, they kind of turned on him at one point. And Moses leaves to go up a mountain just for a little while. What does Aaron do? He makes a golden calf. <laughs> Must have driven him insane. King David had to deal with King Saul, right? David was playing the harp for Saul, and Saul's throwing spears at him. <laughs> what was that about? Saul's trying to kill him over and over again, yet David wouldn't touch God's anointed. Saul was an EGR. Job was bearing with his friends. Here's Job suffering, and his friends are telling him, hey, it's your fault. You're a sinner. That was helpful. Job's wife? Why don't you just curse God and die? I wonder if he'd marry her if he had to do it all over again. <laughs> Jacob had his father-in-law. Remember his father-in-law was always kind of doing these little deals where he's playing the shell game? You're going to marry Rachel? No, you get... Uh, that, see, that... Uh, yeah, that was poor, poor Jacob. Joseph had to bear with his brothers who sold him into slavery. <laughs> Poor guy. I love Deborah. This, you know the story about in the judges? So there's this guy named Barak who's supposed to be chosen as the judge, but he's too chicken to go fight the war, so he picks Deborah and says, why don't you lead the army? I don't know if I could put up with a Barak guy like that. <laughs> chicken. Jesus bearing with the 12, especially Peter. I mean, think about Peter for a second. Holy moly. How about John and James? I want to sit on your left and your right. Really? Are you missing the whole message? Paul was bearing with the churches at Corinth and other places because those churches were Galatia, for example, problematic. And he had to deal with Mark on that first missionary trip. Something happened. He wouldn't take him on the second one. How about how God bears with you? <laughs> you all stopped laughing. What happened? There's no doubt that God has a strong feeling about us bearing with one another. Because he keeps repeating it over and over and over and over again in Scripture. And it's as if we're completely deaf to the concept, or perhaps just obstinate. So before I get into Scripture and how it tells us to be successful in bearing with somebody else, I want to point out what bearing with one another is not. It's not just putting up with somebody, faking friendship when you really don't like that person. Anybody ever do that? Placing boundaries in your life that push irritating people away so you don't have to deal with them anymore. Now, I want to get this loud and clear because I get to this a lot. Boundaries are okay. Boundaries are important, but not ones where you write people off. There are no throwaway people. You can have appropriate boundaries, but there are no throwaway people. Discontinuing a friendship because that person doesn't agree with you on certain areas of your life. Ignoring the bad behavior of other people and thus enabling it. Being a doormat, allowing other people to walk on you, or worse, allowing yourself to be abused. That's not right. Or putting on that fake smile, but bad-mouthing the person behind their back. I know none of you do that. That's just what happens in the world. So bearing with another person, according to Scripture, is actually loving them so deeply that you don't judge them. You aren't annoyed with them. 
and you actually want to be around them, even though you know their behavior and their personality can be difficult or even just downright abrasive. That's a tall order, so let's kind of look at what God tells us. Jesus tells us that people will know that we're his disciples. How? By the way we love one another. You all know that, right? Good. How many of you have been to a wedding? Ever been to a wedding? Do you remember the, uh, the chapter they always read at weddings? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Do you know that that chapter has nothing to do with weddings and marriage? So Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth is a wreck, right? There's all sorts of bad stuff going on at the church at Corinth. And in this letter to the Corinthians, he's trying to tell them how to get their act together. And the context of this is they have been using their gifts from God inappropriately. They've been lauding it over one another. Some are speaking tongues and going, ha-ha, I speak tongues. No one understood them because they were speaking tongues. But others were having gifts of prophecy. Others were having other gifts. And they were kind of competing against each other in the church. And Paul was like, that's not what this is about. You're all being prideful about this. So Paul was correcting them in this letter. So we start out in verse 4, and he's trying to explain the motive behind the gifting. And he says, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. And he's hammering the Corinthians about how their attitude is wrong about working with each other in their gifts. It does not dishonor others. It does not, it's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It doesn't keep records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. The Corinthians were having a trouble with the truth, right? Remember the problems there? It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. So he's telling them, love each other. See, he says next, he says, but where there are prophecies, they're going to cease. I.e., you're not that important. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Don't get caught up because you can speak tongues. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. You're not that smart. Don't get caught up in this stuff. And you fast forward down the line to verse 13. It says, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So he's telling them, you're getting caught up in all this wrong stuff. What you need to do is love one another. Instead of fighting, the church of Corinth was in this big fight with each other. Instead of fighting, why don't you love each other? To give someone extra grace is to love them patiently with kindness and humility. We don't dishonor other people through our expressions, and we don't get mad, and we don't keep a tally of the wrongs they've done. Anybody ever do that? That's the fifth time this week that this... Just me? Okay. We simply love them as they are no matter what, and no matter how difficult that might be. There's this great scene in the Gospels. So Jesus is at the Passover dinner, and uh, Judas has already run off to do his thing. And Jesus is giving the 11 that are left his final instructions. Now, you figure Jesus' final instructions are pretty important, right? The last thing he's going to tell him. And he looks at him intently, and he says in John 13, it's verses 34 through 36, a new command I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Very important stuff. This is the last command. Jesus is changing the world with this, right? <laughs> Peter says, <laughs> Lord, where are you going? Now imagine Jesus sitting at this table. He's just told them the most important thing 
that Jesus could tell them which is love one another. And Peter misses the message completely. Where are you going? I can just imagine Jesus going, Peter, 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 you're killing me. I'd be exasperated. But Jesus, look what he does here. <laughs> he loves Peter. Jesus answers, where I go, you cannot follow. But you will follow later. And then Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow? You're right. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, oh, really? You'll lay down your life for me, right, Peter? This is where he says, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. So what, what Jesus does is he lovingly says, okay, Peter, you're missing the point about the love thing, the most important thing I'm going to tell you in the entire scriptures. And you're asking me, where you, uh, you can go with me, but later, you'll get there, don't worry. And as you persist, I'm still going to be loving, but I'm going to be a little truthful with you too. But isn't truth love? See, this is the part the church has a hard time with sometimes because it, they, they love the love part. But when truth gets a little real, that's where we struggle. But that's loving too. You know, I'd rather tell you the truth, Yvonne, than lie to you. I'd rather tell you the truth than just shine you on. Because in the long run, it's going to be better for you even if you don't like my truth, right? So if you look at Jesus, he responded in love to everybody, didn't he? He responded to all the EGRs in his life, and he had quite a few, right? His own family didn't believe him, for goodness sake. But Jesus taught, Jesus taught us more than that. He, he tells us that while love is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he also describes it this way. Don't judge. Be humble. Care for those who hate you. Give to those in need and sacrifice yourself for others, including your time, your talents, your treasures, and yes, your pride. So my question for you is this. Who are the EGRs in your life? And how can you love them better so they stop driving you crazy? In your bulletin, we left space <laughs> for you to write down the names of the EGRs in your life. And I really want you to do this. All of us have it, let's just be honest. We all have people that drive us a little cuckoo. But you need to name them so you can say, I need to work on this because I need to love these EGRs better. And in fact, I need the transformational power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit because in my own power I can't do this. I need help here. And it will be good for you because it will be a growing experience and it will be certainly good for the EGRs because you'll probably treat them better. I know this because I've had to do this in my own life. I've had EGRs, and I've had to make a decision to love them instead of write them off. You know, I used to be a person that, and this is going to surprise you, but had very little patience. <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm trying. I'm glad to say I'm a work in progress. Uh, through the power of Jesus, I, uh, I work really hard not to get frustrated by EGRs in my life. There are people that are mad at me right now, and I, and I know why, and, and I understand why. But I love those people, and I've not written them off, and I'm not mad at them, and, you know, I understand. And there will come a time when, as things simmer down, we will make it all work, because that's what the church does. But only through the transformational power of Christ can I tell you that. Because if you'd known me, like, 30 years ago, you'd never let me in this church. Because there's no way in the world I would... I would submit to that. 
So who are these EGRs in your life? Could be your spouse. It's okay. Could be your spouse. But what if you're like me and you're the EGR? Isn't that a great picture? My wife asked me, who are you about to kill? <laughs> and I told her I was actually in a uh, legislative committee. I was a committee administrator. And uh, we were doing a children and families committee, which can get kind of raucous because you're dealing with very emotional issues of child abuse and kids being taken out of homes and things like that. And uh, somebody came in who was a, a known troublemaker. And I thought I was going to have to jump over the dais there and solve a problem. And at that point, my good friend Neil Heilprin took a picture. And uh, I love that photo. It says a lot about who I used to be. But if you're the EGR like I am, and I'm, a, I'm an admitted EGR, how are spo people supposed to treat me? Are they supposed to just like always show me deference and grace and all that? Yeah, scripture tells me that I'm, I have a responsibility here. I'm supposed to recognize that I'm an EGR, what my shortcomings are, and work really hard to transform them so I'm not that guy. Now, I've shared with you before, I think, that I, I'm not a particular fan of my own personality. <laughs> God's made me a certain way for his purposes, and I get that. Um, but Romans 12 tells us that the first step of being someone who recognizes the need being an EGR is to have a sober judgment of yourself. And a lot of people you know don't have a sober judgment, right? Well, I have a kind of a sober judgment of myself. So I want to share with you what my flaws are so you can see what, when you're an EGR, what you have to recognize about yourself so you can take the first steps to being more godly. So I'm a really intense person, and... Uh, Sometimes I intimidate people, and I use that to my advantage. Stop laughing, Lisa. You know, you shouldn't really have your wife here when you're saying that. I'm really critical of myself and others, and my words tend to be very critical and kind of accusatory. My wife, yeah, rather than encouraging. Because of some of my childhood issues, I, I have a... A, a, a almost OCD need to affix blame when something happens. Somebody has to be in trouble or responsible for something that went wrong. And I can't get away from that. I'm very demanding that people meet their obligations. I struggle with some post-traumatic stress from childhood abuse, and when triggered, my reaction is always anger. One of my triggers is when myself or others are embarrassed or humiliated, or when authority is abused. When that triggers me, I get very angry, um, almost not controllable anger. I am blunt to a fault. I'm unafraid to tell you what I think. I don't care whether you like it or not. I don't care how you feel. The only thing that matters are facts. If your tushy hurts, that's your problem. And I like to be in charge. <laughs> I'm a control freak to a fault. So you get the picture. I have some serious issues in my life that I work with. And if you've been around me enough, maybe you've seen that, Tom. Maybe you've been blessed not to be around me that much. And I work really hard to be Christ-like. And I pray about transformation all the time. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to change me, and it is a long process. But I also know that God can use that for his purposes, right? For some reason, my gift, one of my gifts is exhortation. <laughs> Imagine that. Yet knowing this about myself helps me when I'm in that EGR state, where I'm being the EGR, the extra grace required person. If I can recognize I'm being one of these things, I can ratchet it down. I can be more godly. 
But I gotta have a sober judgment of myself first. If I don't, if I can't say that about myself, if I can't actually admit in front of my church family, hey, I got problems. I, I, I have these issues. And I can't ask you for grace in those issues. What am I doing here? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of church family? We were just talking in Bible study this morning about, bear, about being one another's brother's keepers and what that looks like. Are, we, are you your brother's keeper? Some would say no. Church would say yes. This is why we have to bear with one another. That's why God says it. So think about this for a second. What about you? Do you have a sober judgment? In your bulletin, we've left space for you to list, <laughs> to list some of your character flaws. I know this is a hard thing because not everyone wants to do this, but I want you to really do it. Because if you could make your list, there are things that you could work on as well to help you become less of an EGR if you have that issue. So if you don't know if you're an EGR, please turn to the person next to you. It could be your spouse, could be a kid, could be a friend. Chances are really good those around you will let, would gladly let you know if you're an EGR, tell you what the issues are, and give you time to work on it. I found a verse that fundamentally changed my life as an EGR, and I, I live by this to the best of my ability. It's Philippians 2, 3 through 5. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a tall order, isn't it? It's hard to be an EGR when you're loving people as explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and living your life in Philippians 2, 3 through 5. But I want you to understand this about EGRs, whether you're one, whether you know EGRs. Those who are EGRs are EGRs because something happened to them in their lives. It's causing them to be EGRs. Part of what we do as the body of Christ is have compassion for them. Because what's going on is the EGR is having symptoms from unresolved issues in their past that make them EGRs. I told you, I have an, a, just a need. There has to be someone responsible. If the keys are missing, somebody did it. The keys didn't walk off by themselves. I can tell you exactly where that comes from in my past. And I'm trying to resolve it, believe me, but it's really hard. So we need to have compassion for the EGRs in our lives. Because there's something else deeper going on in there. For some of you out there, these are hard words. They're hitting home. Holy Spirit's smacking you. And I'm sorry if, if it hurts a little. But God needs better from you and us. Being an EGR is not God's will for you. You're not living in full relationship with God. And you're not living in full relationship with others. If everyone around you walks on eggshells and everyone groans every time you walk in a room. God has so much more for you. So much more for you. And what you have to do is take that step toward healing. You can take that step toward allowing Jesus Christ to heal you in those broken areas that will cause you to have less symptoms and be less of an EGR to others. I've heard all the yeah, but excuses. Yeah, but so-and-so did this. Yeah, but if you knew them like I do. Yeah, but this person is just evil. Yeah, but they deserve what they're getting. Yeah, but they hurt me so badly. 
Yeah, but I could never forgive them for what they did. Yeah, but blah, blah, blah. If you're a bad yeah, but person, get over yourself. Imagine if Jesus Christ was a yeah, but person. Yeah, but Jolie. Yeah, but Gary. Yeah, but Bob. The stuff he would say about me. Would Jesus love me? Yeah, but. Yeah, but Tom does this. Would he save me? Would he die for me? If he were a yeah, but person? Not in your life. If you're going to be a yeah, but person, you need to have a serious talk with yourself because you don't have a sober judgment. Christ calls us to sacrifice in ways that he sacrificed for us. I give you a new command. Love each other the way I have loved you. I have sacrificed everything for you. That's how we're supposed to love each other. Even the EGRs in our life. So in the church, we are called to bear with one another in unity, in eagerness to have unity. Are we eager to have unity? I don't know. We're called to forgive one another without exception, no matter what the person did and no matter how badly they hurt you. We're called to love patiently, humbly, kindly, without the hint of grudges. We're to give extra grace wherever it's required because God gives us extra grace every day. And we need to work hard to be the person that doesn't need extra grace constantly. I need to work really hard not to be the guy that you're all trying to pacify. I'm an EGR, and chances are good, so are you. And while we never completely overcome our character flaws, we can, through the transformational power of Jesus Christ, let everyone know we are his disciples by the way we love one another, even the EGRs in our lives. Amen? Amen. Short sermon today, huh? That's pretty good for me. Usually we're going into lunch. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I need to get straight with Jesus. You know, he and I have a tenuous relationship. Maybe you don't know Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people who go to church that don't know Jesus. We always have people here to pray. And if you're having issues in your life, you need prayer, you don't want to know Jesus better, you don't know Jesus, man, there are people that want to talk to you and just pray with you because God will talk to you and he'll tell, him, tell you about himself. If you're an EGR and you're struggling with that, come pray. It's the best way to try to get over some of that stuff. In the meantime... Um, I see Misty coming up. That means we're about to sing some more music. She's got a big smile on her face. I love that. So if the folks that are with the praise team, worship team, can come on up, and we'll sing some more hymns. <laughs> 